Would you say that the Democratic Party has been taking Latino support for granted? Yeah, I would agree with the statement that the Democratic Party has been taking Latinos for granted for a long time and that the 2020 election in particular kind of really opened their eyes to the fact that the vote is up for grabs. That's Geraldo Cadaba, a New Yorker contributing writer and a historian. He has written extensively about Latino voters and most recently about their growing support for Donald Trump. What may have looked like a minor change has turned out to be a continuing trend that might decide the next election and shape the larger American political landscape. You're listening to The Political Scene. I'm Tyler Foggett, and I'm a senior editor at The New Yorker. What is it that people, pollsters, political strategists, you know, what is it that they generally get wrong about Latino voters? I think the main thing that we all need to do is pay attention to the issues that are actually drawing Latinos into the Republican camp, namely religious freedom, support for border security, and pro-business policies. I think those have been issues for a long time that Republicans have felt like they're on pretty solid ground with Latinos on. That's interesting. I mean, can you talk a bit more about border security? Because, I mean, especially the way that Trump talks about the border and, like, the rhetoric that he uses sometimes to talk about immigrants. I mean, it seems to me kind of counterintuitive that that would be effective among those voters. Yeah. And to be clear, I would say that it's still a minority of Latinos that support Trump's border security policies. But I think that that number is growing. I mean, for as long as I've studied the issue since the early 21st century, it's usually been around 15 or 20 percent of Latinos who've supported border wall construction, um, harsher enforcement policies. But now, as an Equis research report showed last year, that number's more like 35 or 36 percent. So it's still a minority, but it's, it's a growing percentage of Latinos who are in favor of border security and trust the Republican Party to do a better job at securing the border than Democrats. I mean, how would you explain that change? I mean, does it have something to do with the idea that crime is coming from across the mm -hmm. border? Or are we talking about a group of voters who are here legally who are upset about people coming illegally? I think it's both of those things. I've also kind of been uh, maybe this is going to strike you as a little too much of like a psychological explanation, but I think no, that we, we love psychological uh, explanations. We here. <laughs> love psychological explanations, but I I kind of think that over the past few years, Americans have been feeling increasingly insecure about all sorts of things. You can chalk it up to financial insecurity. You can chalk it up to the pandemic. You can chalk it up to climate change. Any number of things is making a lot of us kind of feel very anxious and insecure, and that can be a destabilizing feeling. And I think that, as has happened across American history, any time that there's that kind of insecurity, whether it's financial or uh, social or otherwise or political, I think that immigrants become a, a pretty easy target. And the kind of draw to policies that kind of build a wall between us and those perceived outside threats becomes more appealing. I think there are all sorts of ways in which that idea is a little too easy, even when it comes to an issue like the border, blaming all of, um, all of our problems on outsiders is a little too convenient when 
80% of the guns in Mexico and Colombia are coming from the United States when, you know, something like 80 to 90% of all of the fentanyl being trafficked between Mexico and the United States is being done by American citizens. So it's always too easy to only blame outsiders, but I think those kinds of explanations become more convenient in times of heightened um, insecurities. So how well is Trump actually doing among Latino voters based on the more recent polls we've seen? I wish I could tell you with certainty how well he's doing, but it seems like the trajectory is pretty clear. There's no doubt that between 2016 and 2020 that Trump's performance among Latinos improved considerably. I mean, by as much as eight or 10 percentage points. That would be remarkable on its own, just the number. But I think many political observers thought that it was even more remarkable that this president in particular had improved his performance among Latinos when, to the public eye, to most observers, it really seemed like he was doing everything in the first four years of office to alienate Latino voters. So it was particularly surprising that this president had improved his performance. That's why I think there was a lot of attention paid to the 2022 midterms because there was this feeling that there might be a kind of tidal shift among Latinos toward the Republican Party. And the 2022 midterms were going to be the first kind of check-in point after the 2020 election about where Latinos were at. And I think Democrats largely sighed in relief that the move toward the Republican Party seemed to not happen in the way that many had predicted it would. But neither did Latinos go back to Democrats. It was kind of a situation of stability, a lot of stability, actually, between 2020 and 2022, which meant that losses had happened, but they hadn't gotten worse. And I think what was so alarming for Democrats about these recent polls over the past couple of months by Univision, by New York Times and Siena College, was that they showed a further erosion of Latino support for Democrats and, and increased support for uh, Republicans and Donald Trump. And, you know, we're still not approaching the point where the vote is equally split 50-50. It's still, in the Republicans' wildest dreams, still 60-40 or 62-38. But that is going to be enough support in enough critical states to win those states for Donald Trump and potentially win him the election as well. So you think that these gains could genuinely shift the election? Sure. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I think that states like Wisconsin, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, these are states that were decided in some cases by 10, 20,000, 30,000 votes. And the Latino electorate in all of them is big enough to sway the election one way or another. I mean, it's interesting because I feel like on one hand, these numbers, you know, this increase that we're seeing, it's very real. I mean, you mentioned 8 to 10 percent earlier, which is kind of like a staggering figure. But at the same time, there's this new cycle that happens after every election involving Trump where there's a, a marginal shift in voters of color. I mean, this isn't just about Latino voters. You see this also with with black voters where, you know, you have a candidate who loses this population, but the fact that they didn't lose by as much as we thought is treated as something of a victory. Is that because the way that the trends are looking, you know, we're actually kind of approaching a period where those gains are going to be large enough to be statistically significant in terms of the larger vote count? Or, or do you think that there's just like a larger panic over voters of any minority? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that 
the observation is real. And it has been super frustrating for Democrats to understand that because I think many Democrats feel like, hey, you guys are acting like we lost the Latino vote. And it's still the case that Democrats are winning the Latino vote by high single-digit percentages, 20%, 30% in some cases. And I think that this is why after the 2022 midterms did not go as Republicans had hoped, so many Latino advocates were kind of claiming victory in a lot of ways. They, they even said that there was a return to this historic two-to-one margin that Democrats had usually enjoyed, like 67% to 33%. The more information that came out from Catalyst, from Equis Research, and others who are kind of hyper-focused on understanding what happened with the Latino vote from election to election, the more it looked like that hadn't happened. It hadn't been the case that Latinos had kind of come home to the Democratic Party. So I think that Democrats had been so frustrated with that narrative that had emerged between 2020 and 2022 that they were just ready to declare victory, ready for any kind of good news that showed that things had been stabilizing. And that didn't happen. And, you know, you're totally right that these small gains, these marginal gains do receive an undue amount of attention for reasons that I think are have to do with both the short term and the long term of American politics. In the short term, I think that these small shifts in one direction or another do actually make a big difference in elections. And I also think that in the longer term, any kind of movement by Latinos or African-Americans or Asian-Americans, where it also happened, toward the Republican Party just continues to chip away at this longstanding feeling of the Democrats that demography was on their side. And as soon as these populations expanded and constituted a greater percentage of the electorate, that would result in kind of unending victories for the Democratic Party. And each time that we see that narrative um, kind of eaten away a little bit, it makes Democrats increasingly nervous. So even if it's, you know, 60-40 today, I've talked a lot with a lot of Republicans who think that, you know, this is all kind of normal and it's moving slowly but surely toward a moment where it'll be closer to 50-50. And that would be a real problem for Democrats and their kind of long-term vision of where the base of their party lies. So how has Trump been selling himself to Latino voters this election cycle? Yes, it's been really interesting to watch, to me at least, because, you know, having watched both the rally in Hialeah and the interview on Univision that's getting so much attention, he was remarkably coherent and calm <laughs> and collected. And he wasn't the Donald Trump that I had grown used to. I mean, I think when I saw him first declare his candidacy for 2024, I even then, and I think others then, noted a kind of shift in his tone. He was trying to be more serious, more measured, more presidential, I guess you could say. But I really saw that in his sit-down with Enrique Acevedo, the uh, Mexican anchor of Televisa. And I think that, you know, part of that could just be that Acevedo wasn't making things uncomfortable for him by pressing him, but his answers about what he perceives to be his accomplishments were coherent. They were certainly dark and not 
the politics that I or many Latino Democrats agree with, but it was a coherent vision of politics. And I think what he's really saying is that the border has become a mess under Biden. He had it in pretty good shape when he was in office and he's ready to secure the border once again. Yes, from his perspective, that will come through harsher immigration policies and deportations on a record scale, things we've never seen before. But it's a coherent vision of politics. And and I think that he believes that enough Latinos will support that vision of border security. I think in addition to border security, he's really trumpeting his successes as president when it came to Latino business ownership. His administration was really supportive of that by offering them loans, providing federal contracts, by slashing financial deregulations that made it easier for them to do business. And I also think that from day one in office, when he was president from 2017 to 2021, when he entered office, left office, he really made an effort through surrogates in particular, to reach out to Latino evangelicals. And I think that those are going to be the kind of main bases of his Latino support this time as well. Those who want increased border security and feel like the border is a mess under Biden. Those who support his kind of pro-business approach to the economy. And Latino faithful who kind of really see like religious freedom as core to their concerns. And I I just want to say quickly that religious freedom and um, support for Trump's religious agenda, his, his kind of religious policies, is not just about abortion. And I think that that's often a mistake that people make when they hear about Trump's faith-based policies. I think religious freedom has to do with a lot of other things too, including support for charter schools that can have uh, religious hmm. affiliations and so many other things. Um, so I think that it's a really kind of broad-based appeal toward Latino evangelicals that goes beyond abortion. I mean, this idea that Biden has eroded our border security and potentially our religious freedoms, I mean, is that something that, um, is Trump responding to a concern that's already been vocalized by a lot of Latino voters, or is he creating a controversy? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think that a lot of Trump's ideas about border security emanates from what he hears from his supporters in the Rio Grande Valley, for example, where the percentage of the population in those places is 85, 90% Latino. And many of them, you know, because they're are a lot of border patrol officers there because a lot of the detention centers that got attention during the migrant family separations were located on the Texas-Mexico border. In many ways, that is a real concern. I do think local communities on the border feel like their resources are being spread thin. You hear complaints about locals not being able to access emergency rooms because they're being overrun by uh, migrants, those sorts of things. But does it go too far? And does it take a kind of unrealistic view of what's happening and what the nature of the crisis is? Yes, I think so. I mean, when Republicans talk about open border policies, which is something they do every two seconds, it feels like, (laughs) there is no such thing as an open border. I mean, it was so ironic to me to be watching Elon Musk's much-discussed video of a scene at the border, to hear him talking about 
open borders when he was literally surrounded by federal authorities. And I had the opportunity to go uh, sit in and observe some smuggling cases at the Tucson District Court involving American citizens who had all been arrested, prosecuted, incarcerated for trying to smuggle guns, weapons, people. And the idea that the border is open for them is is just laughable because they've felt to the full force of the law. So yes, that is a just a gross and irresponsible e- exaggeration of what is happening at the border that anyone can just walk across if they want. And that Biden's policy is somehow to actually encourage that and support that. I mean, one thing Trump said is it's still the theory that the reason that there's this open border is that these people are voting for Democrats and Democrats want to throw open the border to them so that they can vote in elections, which is just ludicrous. So I think in the way that Trump always does, yes, he overinflates these actual concerns that people on the border have about the ways in which Um, increased migration is affecting their communities and takes it to a place that is far beyond the reality of the situation. I grew up in Arizona, and I feel like that was definitely one of the um, main talking points in Arizona was just that the Democratic Party was essentially bringing in a very loyal voting bloc. You know, whether it's that those people who are here legally are managing to actually vote in elections or whether they're having kids who then are inevitably Democrat. And so it's been interesting um, seeing these numbers change because I've been wondering, like, Well, on one hand, it looks like there are a lot of Latinos who support increased security at the border. And so it doesn't seem like that's necessarily an issue that the Republican Party would ever move on in any real way. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. if there was this growing idea that actually people immigrate to the United States and they have kids and those kids end up becoming Republican, you could see some of the rhetoric about the border changing a lot if it wasn't just kind of assumed that every single person who's coming from Latin America is going to vote Democrat, you know, once they get a chance to vote. Absolutely. And I think the irony of the whole situation is that Republicans, in some senses, do understand their demographic challenges and how they then need to expand their support among new voters, including immigrants. And I remember talking to the head of the El Paso Republican Party, who talked about how he personally shows up at all of the naturalization ceremonies in El Paso to hand out pamphlets about what the Republican Party stands for, because he is trying to recruit new immigrants who, at the time when they migrate, can't vote, but then they naturalize Mm -hmm. and can register to vote. He hasn't given up on the idea that immigrants would be Republicans. And the other thing that I forgot to mention about evangelical churches is that evangelicalism is largely an immigrant religion. I mean, it's a religion that grows in Latin America. And the first point of contact for many recent Latin American immigrants is the evangelical church in their communities. And so that becomes a kind of um, important recruiting ground for Republicans to reach out to new immigrants. I think it's a mistake that I think in some ways Democrats are responsible for selling this idea that immigrants are going to naturalize and vote for Democrats, because I don't think immigrants have fully formed political ideas in the way that many Americans assume that they do, because, you know, they've largely grown up in a Latin American political context that also has political divisions between what we might call conservative and liberal. And so I think 
many immigrants are open to the appeal of Republican ideas. And I remember talking also to a guy named Alfonso Aguilar, who in the 2020 campaign was the head of Latino Catholics for Trump uh, group. And he was telling me that Democrats just fundamentally misunderstand the issue of immigration because many Latin American migrants come to the United States not wanting to be lumped together with all other Latinos, but to work hard, to provide better opportunities for themselves and their families to remain in the United States. They're here in the United States to be here and work because they think that what they were leaving behind in Latin America is worse. And I don't know, I would push back on uh, some of the things that he said, but I think at a at a kind of basic level, that's also true. And so I think immigrants are much more up for grabs than um, Democrats have assumed. Just thinking about the border, um, do you think that Democrats think that most Latino voters want a more lax border policy? Or do you think that the Democrats are just kind of doing what they think is more humane or moral, and then it turns out that they're alienating some of the Latino votership as they, you know, go about those policies? I do not believe that Democrats think that Latinos want an open border. I think, though, that what Democrats believe, and it is undoubtedly true in many cases, is that Latinos, because immigrants are in our families, I, I don't know if this is still true, but I remember that there was a statistic that two-thirds of Latinos either have an undocumented person in their family or know someone who is undocumented. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's this idea in Latino communities, which is absolutely true, that we, at some point in the not-too-distant past, immigrated to the United States as well. And so many of the opportunities that we have as Latinos were provided for us by our ancestors who crossed the border. And so I don't think it's that Latinos want an open border, but I do think that Latinos are often kind of sensitive to the plight of immigrants because immigration is a family story that has been meaningful to so many of us. So I want to ask you more about the Univision interview and about Trump's rally in Florida. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll have more with Geraldo Cadava on the political scene from The New Yorker in just a minute. So you mentioned Trump's interview on Univision earlier this month. And I'm wondering if you can just tell us a little bit more about how the interview came to be, what went down, and then the larger response to it. Sure. So the stories that I have read have said that Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, had helped to arrange this sit-down interview with Televisa Univision. Univision is a network that has really catered to the Spanish language population in the United States, although it broadcasts in the Caribbean and Latin America as well. It's not just a news channel. It also airs telenovelas and all sorts of other programming. And for a long time, I would say that Univision has been seen as an organization and as a channel that has been fairly friendly to Democrats. And I think to Democrats now, the fact that it has been purchased by Televisa, which in Mexico has always had a kind of close relationship with the Mexican government, and now seems more open to platforming Donald Trump, kind of showing its viewers Republicans and their 
uh, positions as a way, as they put it, of kind of educating Latino voters so that they can make an informed decision. I think that feels to a lot of Democrats now and a lot of Latino Democrats now as opposition. So what this interview was, was an hour-long sit-down with a Mexican anchor named Enrique Acevedo, who uh, is a Televisa anchor. He's not even an Univision anchor. And the criticism of Acevedo and his performance in that interview is that he didn't challenge Trump in any way. He kind of sat there, nodded, smiled, and didn't push back on Trump. You know, Trump keeps talking about how Democrats rigged the election in 2020. They've taken a president who is very popular. I got 75 million votes, much more than that, I believe. Mm -hmm. No president's ever gotten that many votes. And they've taken that number of people, and I think you can double it or almost you can triple it in terms of the real, the feeling. You can't do that. You can't go after people. You know, when you're president and you, you've done a good job and you're popular, you don't go after them so you can win an election. They've done indictments in order to win an election. They call it weaponization. I think not just for Latino audiences, but his main argument for why the election was a fraud and was stolen from is that from him is that he won at least 12 million more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016. So how could it be that he actually lost the election at the same time that he won 12 million more votes? I mean, I guess if I were in Acevedo's seat, I would have said like, yeah, that's interesting, but Joe Biden also received this many votes. Like, are you also contesting that? One thing I wonder is, as a Mexican anchor, was he just showing deference to a presidential candidate And I would like to know, has he regularly interviewed AMLO or Enrique Peña Nieto or Mexican presidents? And does he show them the same kind of deference that he showed Trump just because they are presidents or presidential candidates? Or was he really teeing up questions that Trump can have a much easier time with? Yeah. When I first was reading about the Univision interview, the backlash reminded me a bit of the news cycle around the CNN town hall with Trump back in May. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it seems like in the case of the town hall, like that just kind of highlighted the difficulties of doing like real time fact checking. I don't right. think that there were accusations right. of Caitlin Collins being too warm toward Trump. Right. Whereas it seems like, you know, the Univision situation is more of a failure of the interviewer, perhaps. That's right. And I, I think, you know, there is this larger conversation about Trump's tendency to try to steamroll interviewers and how it's hard to kind of press him on things. So I I get that. But, you know, I remember this other question that Acevedo asked where he was like, so do you think that you would do a better job than Biden has done with the war between Ukraine and Russia and Israel and Hamas? And I was like, what kind of question yes is that? Yes or no that? question, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's Trump going to say? Of course he thinks he's going to do a better job. And that just, so that just didn't, just didn't feel to me like it was serious. So yeah, it was, it was a kind of interesting spectacle to behold. And so for, for Democrats, Latino Democrats, this is really tricky because Univision has been a really important outlet for them for a long period of time. And... It seems completely reasonable to me that Univision would now take the position that it also wants to expose its viewers to 
the Republican Party and Republican ideas and the Republican candidate. And that might be a kind of new goal of achieving that kind of balance. And it seems logical to me that Univision would take that approach. But I feel like to many Latino Democrats, that change feels very abrupt and different than how it has been in the past. And it feels to me a little bit like Latino Democrats are mistaking journalistic independence with betrayal and opposition because it might not be as clear to them that Univision is aligned with democratic priorities as it once used to be. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, from my understanding, there was stuff that went beyond the interview, too. Like, did Biden ads get canceled or what what was the other stuff that was kind of swirling around this? They did. And I I think that this is where Univision should accept some responsibility of, at the very least, handling this very poorly. I mean, they have cited a, a new company policy that they will not air ads from a candidate's opponent during a sit-down interview with hmm. that opponent. That's just a policy. And they've said that it would apply to Biden as much as it applied to Trump, that during a Biden interview, they would not air even paid for Trump campaign ads. So maybe that's company policy. They've also canceled the post-interview interview with Maka Casado, who is the Biden campaign's director of Hispanic media. She was going to respond to Trump's interview right after Trump's interview. Oh, interesting, like and how there's can- like an, a response to the State of the Union, that kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. And uh, that happened abruptly, and it happened um, in the case of the ads, just days before the interview, in the case of Maca Casado's disinvitation the day of the interview. So it felt very abrupt. And I think that's where Univision did not handle that properly. If they're truly standing by this idea that all they're really doing is exposing their viewers to Republican ideas from the Republican Party's leading candidate, it seems to me like that that kind of position could have been executed much more thoughtfully and deliberately than these kind of last minute changes. And I think that that's what raises many Latino Democrats' suspicion that this is all part of a plan by Televisa to kind of cozy up to the Trump campaign. So I'd like to talk about another recent attempt of Trump's to appeal to Latino voters in what seems like a very deliberate, direct way, which was his rally in Florida um, that you mentioned earlier. At this rally, at one point, Trump talks about being targeted by political enemies because of his resistance to communism, um, which seems like an attempt to connect with Cuban Americans. Crooked Joe Biden and the radical left Democrats are turning the United States into communist Cuba. And, you know, because we have a lot of great Cubans here. We have some you, you talked earlier about how Trump has been trying to form alliances with Latino evangelicals, for instance, since like back in you know 2016. So it's not like all of a sudden he has decided that he cares about the Latino vote. But it also seems like he's adopted some new strategies at the same time. Yes. I, well, I mean, on the one hand, he's been talking about anti-socialism and anti-communism mm-hmm. for a while. And that was a, an important part of his appeal in 2020 to Latinos in Florida in particular. Although I would say for you know, anyone curious 
to learn this lesson, um, I would say that the appeal of anti-communism and anti-socialism does extend beyond Florida. And I, I would think that you would be hard-pressed to find any Latino Republican who says that they support socialism or communism wherever they are. I mean, I think Puerto Ricans have their own reasons for thinking of themselves as anti-socialist and anti-communist because they've long thought that the kind of pro-independence Puerto Ricans from the 1920s, 30s forward, like uh, like Pedro Albizu Campos, I mean, they've long thought of them as socialists and communists. I, I really do believe that when Trump talks about socialists and communists, yes, you might be able to immediately understand how he's talking to Cubans, Venezuelans in Florida. But I do think the appeal actually goes much beyond Florida itself. And I would say with the two events that we're talking about, the rally in Hialeah and the sit-down interview for Univision, Trump is really covering a lot of bases. I mean, one way you could dismiss the Hialeah rally is to say like, okay, this is just for the fanatics, the kind of fringe, radical Latinos. But I think the fact that that talk was kind of broadcast on Univision makes the audience much broader than them. And his sit-down with Acevedo the next day was really a lot about Mexico and, and border policy. I mean, I think the subject of Venezuela and Cuba came up a little bit, but not very much. And so between those two events, I mean, he kind of covered a wide swath of the Latino population. So how are the Democrats adjusting their strategy given all of this? Because, you know, some of the things you mentioned that Trump is doing right in terms of, you know, appealing to Latino voters, like highlighting his support of small businesses owned by Latinos, that sort of thing. You can see Biden saying the same thing about his own economic policies. But then you mentioned things like massive deportations, like nothing we've ever seen before. And it just seems pretty absurd that the Democratic Party would ever adopt that kind of rhetoric. And so I'm wondering, you know, what mm -hmm. changes are even possible, um, given what the Democratic Party is supposed to stand for, and what kinds of changes to the rhetoric we've been seeing since people got clued into the fact that Trump was gaining among this population so much. Totally. And I think that even if Latino Democrats and Democrats in general have kind of wanted to brush aside in terms of their public expression, this idea that Latinos are shifting to the right. I think that there are plenty of signs within Democratic Party circles that they are taking this seriously in a few different ways. And I think that the fact that they see themselves taking it seriously at the same time that these polls are showing really good results for Trump is doubly frustrating because they feel like they're trying and it doesn't seem to be working just yet. I think, you know, that's part of why their response over the past few days to the Univision interview has been like, well, polls don't win elections. The only result that matters is the result that happens on election day, which is totally true. But I doubt they would have had that response if the polls had shown Biden really making inroads with Latinos. I suspect that if that had happened, they would have pointed to all of their early efforts to recruit Latino voters. And so what Democrats have done in the past several months, there have been announcements about historic investments in Spanish language advertising, in door-to-door -door outreach, in kind of segmenting the Latino population to micro-target groups in particularly important swing states. 
And I also think that they've responded largely to the criticism that they can't just show up in Latino communities during Hispanic Heritage Month of an election year and expect to change a lot of minds, that they had to start developing relationships with Latinos much earlier than they have in the past. And so you see that. I mean, you have uh, Julia Chavez Rodriguez as one of Biden's main campaign strategists. You have a pretty aggressive counter-messaging effort in Miami with you know, like Biden big heads and uh, roving trucks with ads talking about Trump's extremism. You see that. You see the effort to try to counter Trump's messages. And I've been increasingly thinking that what Democrats need to do is just kind of take Trump's alleged self-proclaimed policy successes with Latinos and really attack those ideas head on, understand the reasons that Latinos are drawn to Trump and come up with effective responses to those. I mean, I think the fact is that there are Republican policy positions that have appealed to Latinos and Democrats aren't going to solve the problem without convincing Latinos that their positions on those issues will be better for them than Republicans will. Well, thank you so much, Jerry. Yeah, of course. Geraldo Cadava is a contributing writer at The New Yorker. You can read his reporting on Trump's campaign for the Latino vote online now. This has been The Political Scene from The New Yorker. I'm Tyler Foggett. The show is produced by Michelle Moses with support from Sydney Cobb and Gianna Palmer. Our executive producer is Stephen Valentino. Our theme music is by Allison Leighton Brown. Enjoy the rest of your week and have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll be back in two weeks.